Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. afternoon or good night however and whenever it is you may be listening thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the take it easy podcast happy tuesday everybody i hope y'all are having an amazing fan Fabulous day. We are going to talk here on the show about the New Orleans Pelicans and uh, this amazing Zion Williamson season that didn't get enough talk because the Pelicans were extremely disappointing this year. And we're also going to talk about the Jacksonville Jaguars. What we will not be talking about with the Jacksonville Jaguars is Tim Tebow. We will not be mentioning that further in the podcast if I can so help myself. Uh, we will not be talking about the idiocy of Tebow joining the Jaguars. We will be talking about Jalen Ramsey and the Jaguars, a topic that we pretty much glossed over when we were talking about it on the podcast a few years ago. So that should be an interesting story. But first, it is NBA playoff week. And so for the rest of this week, I want to follow the crazy-ass play-in seeding rounds of the tournament. And uh, leading up to that, in the last week of the regular season, all the seeding comes into full focus, which means we need some music. I felt that that was appropriate. So let's hit that music for our NBA final week recap thing. That sounds like what we're going to call it right now. Hit the music. First of all, that song is a slapper. And two, that is, uh, for those who are wondering, the Oye Como Va. Uh, instrumental with like a bunch of guitars played by Carlos Santana. So that was a appropriate song and that'll be the song we use for the rest of the week in terms of our NBA recaps because uh, it's the last week and I really want to dive into the NBA and every crazy thing going on right now. So first of all, the Blazers did not choke. That's first and foremost. The Rockets scored 129 points, but the Blazers had 140. So No choking out here for the terrible roster of DJ Augustine, Jay Sean Tate, Jamar something Tate. Um, Is it Jay Sean Tate? Jay Sean Tate? Um, Kevin Martin Jr.? Or is it Kenyon Martin Jr.? It's Kenyon Martin's son, Kenyon Martin Jr. Jay Sean Tate, DJ Augustine, Kelly Olenek, 
and uh, Danwell House, the guy who somehow still on the Rockets after all this time and getting thrown out of the bubble for bringing a, for bringing someone into the bubble and breaking quarantine protocol. Uh, they also got is that Aaron Brooks? There's no way Aaron Brooks is still around on the Houston Rockets, is there? Might actually be. Uh, they got Kiri Thomas. I remember him. He was a second round pick. Uh, a few years ago, Damon Jeffries, yeah, this roster is just really bad for the Rockets, but Blazers did not choke, they got four players in over 20 points, Uh, so no choking for the Blazers, they're still a game and a half ahead of the Lakers, Uh, Pacers avoiding falling totally out of the playoff picture, they'll stay hanging around, Wizards lose, which hurts their chances of uh, catching the Fifth or catching the sixth seeded Charlotte Hornets, they were a game back going in or a half game back going in, maybe, but either a game back or two games back for the Wizards now, thanks to their loss. Even though Westbrook broke the triple double record, which is surprisingly like it was cool that everyone made a big deal about it. Like, that's kind of the important part about this. But Westbrook breaking the triple double record, something that he's totally normalized over the years because Russell Westbrook's got years and years left of basketball in his game. Um, The normalization of triple doubles is Russell Westbrook's contribution to the game. And you see it now with Luka Doncic and Nikola Jokic, all these guys that can put up triple doubles almost on command. It's a cool thing that Westbrook has revolutionized the game in that way. But Wizards lose, Pacers win, keeping around those 9 and 10 seeds is that's the result you were looking for. Spurs beat the Bucks, which, you know, I, I mean, did Giannis play in the game? But 146 points in regulation is just stupid good. Yeah, Giannis did play. The entire uh, Bucks team is starting to take form. Uh, three points on 21 minutes for P.J. Tucker. Yikes. Not as bad as Connaughton going 18 and having zero, but... Jesus, when a team scores 146 in regulation, it's always a little bit jarring. But let's see. Murray had 21. DeRozan was in the 20s, shooting high efficiency, too. DeRozan was 9 for 17 from the field. Lonnie Walker, 19 on 8 of 13. Even better. So shout out to Lonnie Walker. Hit a few threes. Keldon Johnson had 20. Patty Mills had 20. Rudy Gay had 19. So it's that 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 players had 19 or more points. For the San Antonio Spurs. And damn if that ain't the San Antonio Spurs method to their madness this season. So they are firmly, firmly protecting their spot as the 10 seed. They're not going to fall off to a Zionless New Orleans Pelicans. Who, although they covered the spread last night, did get bounced by Ja Morant and uh, Dylan Brooks' 23 points leading the Grizzlies to a victory. And... Uh, That one, that tough loss, leads us into our first segment of the day. Also, the Warriors beat the Jazz to avoid, uh, well, I guess, avoid the Grizzlies. So they kept pace with the Grizzlies with that win. But the Grizzlies and Pelicans game is one that leads us into the first topic that I wanted to talk about, which is Zion Williamson and the New Orleans Pelicans as a whole, because it's honestly a disservice to us that we haven't talked a lot about Zion Williamson this year, and since the Pelicans are about to go away for the foreseeable future, it's probably no better time than right now than uh, to talk about Zion Williamson and the New Orleans Pelicans, because now we can almost pretty much put it in stone that the 
New Orleans Pelicans are going to be bounced out of the playoffs here around the, uh, the well, three games left to play. They're about two and a half out now of the Spurs. They were one and a half out with four and a half to play. They're now two and a half out with three and a half to play. So this appears to be all but sealed, signed, and delivered for the fate of the New Orleans Pelicans, who, you know, the New Orleans Pelicans this year have been one of the strangest teams in the NBA because the New Orleans Pelicans have... The New Orleans Pelicans have been totally ridiculous offensively. Here's some stats around Zion Williamson. So Zion Williamson is leading the league in layups with over 400 layups on the season. Next closest is Giannis with 250. Zion takes over 60% of his shots from inside the the from inside like 2 feet or 3 feet. 60% of Zion's shots come at the rim, which is either a layup, a dunk, or a little like jump floater from two feet or less. And Zion is the only player to do that since Shaquille O'Neal, I think in 2006, Shaquille O'Neal put up 60% or more from within two feet or less. And Zion Williamson takes the majority of the rest of his shots from within about nine to 10 feet. So 95% of Zion Williamson's shots come within 9 to 10 feet of the basket. And he's unstoppable. He's ridiculous this season. Zion Williamson this season ended up being a starter in the All-Star game as a replacement. But he it's not like it was a pity thing for his name. Zion Williamson this year is averaging... 27 points per game. Well, I guess he averaged because his season is over. He's shooting over 60% from the field. Again, 60% of his shots come within two feet of the basket, which as much as the three-point revolution is all the talk, you do have to acknowledge that there is one shot better than the three-pointer, and it's the shot within two feet of the basket. And Zion is better than everyone. Better than... Giannis Antetokounmpo, better than LeBron James. He is better than everyone at getting to that rim, getting the ball, and putting in those layups. And so Zion's averaging 27 points, 7 rebounds, 4 assists on the season, all of which are up from his rookie season. His field goal percentage is up from his rookie season. And oh, by the way, Zion Williamson started in the All-Star game this year and has one of the best offensive ratings in the NBA. And so Zion Williamson is the the modern equivalent of Shaq is the thing that people always point to. And honestly, I don't know how easy it is to argue against that, that Zion Williamson is the modern equivalent of Shaq. Because Zion Williamson is I, I mean, I look at Zion Williamson, and I just say that guy is absolutely unbelievable, like genuinely unbelievable. And to be honest, I think coming into this year, when I said that the Pelicans could be a second round exit type of team, and really they're more in that like third or fourth tier of like teams that are exciting to watch, um, the Pelicans could have been, maybe the NBA had the Pelicans in mind with the playoff, the, the play-in series, like the Pelicans would play one of these games with like Ja Morant and 
maybe Steph Curry, maybe they didn't think the Warriors would be as good, uh, which they were not this year emphatically. But what's interesting is that the Pelicans for virtually the second year in a row, because when they went to the NBA bubble, the New Orleans Pelicans were one of those teams that was basically, by the end, Zion again went to the bench. They weren't really playing for anything, and they showed up to the bubble, played their regular season games, their eight first-round play-in games, and then they left. That was it for the New Orleans Pelicans. And so this year, again, it's almost virtually the same thing. Zion is shut down for the season. They're two and a half out with three and a half to play, uh, not even from a play-in game. Well, not even from making the play-in round, but from just missing the playoffs altogether. And for someone who believed what Josh Hart was talking about when he said that, you know, the New Orleans Pelicans can be the the New Orleans Pelicans can be the fourth seed in the West. And I genuinely believe the New Orleans Pelicans can be the fourth seed in the West. And for it to not be the issue with Zion, because Zion's averaging 27, 7, and 4. For Zion to be that dominant and to take those progressions at 21 years old that make him a starter in the All-Star game at 21, like generational, generationally gifted, that's what I was trying to say there. When you can see that there's the generational gifts there around Zion Williamson, it's so interesting that now Zion finds himself on the outside in and the Pelicans weren't even like, I mean, they're technically in it. We talked about them on our crash course yesterday, but the Pelicans are just not even remotely close to the postseason at this point. And it's interesting for two reasons. Well, three reasons, but two and three kind of, you know, go together here. Number one, they have another 24-year-old all-star. Brandon Ingram has been awesome over the past few years, and he got better over the last season. So Brandon Ingram, statistically, and I'm just going to read off Ingram's numbers compared to his career highs. Brandon Ingram this year scored 23 points per game on 46% shooting, had five rebounds and five assists. During his all-star season for the Pelicans, which again, part of that was a byproduct of the system he's playing in, he scored exactly the same 23 points per game, had a few more rebounds per game, but also increased his assists per game numbers. So, by the way, uh, 62 games played in 2020 when he made the all-star team, and 61 games played this last year. So he's been the exact same player he was when he made the all-star team last year. Now, is that a little cause for concern? Possibly, but also... Zion is putting up these ridiculous numbers, and they're not the worst team out there. And obviously, subtracting Drew Holiday was kind of a telltale sign of where they view themselves in terms of the rebuilding process and putting even a third all-star. I know Drew Holiday's kind of an all-star. He's, he's, a, he's a top 50 player, and top 50 players don't grow on trees. Um, putting a third top 50 player could have changed the game, but the Pelicans got an offer they couldn't refuse, and it was the smart move to trade Drew Holiday. But the idea that Ingram's averaging 24 a night and Zion's giving 27, that's 51 points from your two best players, and oh, by the way, Brandon Ingram is 23, hasn't even turned 24 yet, 23 years old, and Zion Williamson is 21 years old. It's an interesting, fascinating combination between the two teams right now, because or between the two 
stars, but the dichotomy of Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson. Because like the Boston Celtics, the New Orleans Pelicans have two 20-year-old, well, there's two all-stars under 25 years old is basically what is going for. That's what Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are. Obviously, they've been disappointing this year, but they were also two games away from the conference finals last year. And the supplement of talent has made it difficult for the Pelicans. Number two and three, again, they go together here. Actually, we kind of touched on Drew Holiday a little bit before. But number two and three, which make it interesting why the Pelicans are the 11th seed, they brought in different pieces similar to the Atlanta Hawks model to put around Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram, and almost every single one has flopped. So that's where two and three go together. They've brought in the different pieces, and almost every single piece has flopped in their addition behind Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram. So they're going to have to totally overhaul the roster this offseason. For a team that had the same defensive rating, we crap on the Brooklyn Nets for being terrible at defense, but the New Orleans Pelicans had the exact same defensive rating as the Brooklyn Nets, and the only teams worse than them, they ranked 23rd in the league, or like a tie for 22nd. The only teams worse than them are the teams with virtually no talent on their roster. Oklahoma City, Cleveland, Orlando, Houston, Minnesota, teams that are all tanking, and then you have Portland, which is a weird one. I don't know why Portland is so bad at defense. And the Sacramento Kings. The Sacramento Kings are one of the worst defensive teams in the history of the NBA. But you look down that list, you have tanking, 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 tanking. Thunder, Cavs, Magic, Rockets, Timberwolves. Five tanking teams. Portland, only team like actually contending worse than the Pelicans and the Nets. Sacramento, the new New York Knicks. They should be tanking, but they're actually actively trying to win. They're the worst team in the NBA actively trying to win. Sorry, Sacramento. Love you. Enjoyed going to uh, see you play for the first time. I didn't actually go into the game, but you got to watch it because the Golden 1 Center had this whole setup there. So good luck, Sacramento, in uh, continuing to be the new Knicks and having the number 8 pick in the draft. Um, so Minnesota... Portland, all those teams are, wor- or sorry, all those tanking teams in Portland are the ones worse than the Pelicans defensively. And I have to probably guess that the New Orleans Pelicans have one of the worst defensive guard units in the NBA, just based, and one of the worst shooting guard units in the league. When you talk about Lonzo Ball, who's obviously gotten better, you talk about Lonzo Ball and Eric Bledsoe. And now Nick Marshall, I think, is is it Nick Marshall? I have no idea who this is. Najee Marshall, I have no idea who Najee Marshall is, but he's getting significant lineup minutes and lineups, lineup minutes in the lineup, lineups. Uh, and Nikhil Alexander Walker has kind of been a bit of a disappointment, but. What's interesting is that they brought in Steven Adams. They they virtually gave up one of those first Anthony Davis first round picks to get Steven Adams. And that seems to have flopped because of the way they're building their lineup now. And Steven Adams gets hurt and his season is over now. And a team that's brought in so many different pieces has still looked so disappointing from Jackson Hayes and Nikhil Alexander-Walker, which neither of which blossomed into a great player 
to Eric Bledsoe, who, I, I mean, I don't know how Eric Bledsoe goes from being such a significant contributor on the Bucks to just not having anything left in the tank, and nobody wants to trade for him at the trade deadline. It just doesn't make sense how that could have fallen off so quickly for Eric Bledsoe, and now he's, you know, a de facto shooting guard for the Pelicans, and he can't shoot, which is kind of just the weird thing about being a shooting guard is... If he's going to be a spot-up shooter like a Clay Thompson, but he can't shoot, then he's just a distributor. And they definitely have enough of those deep in their lineup. And then you can go on to James Johnson, and they had J.J. Redick for a while, but J.J. Redick wasn't a great fit. And you look around the rest of the roster, and there's just nothing left. There's Wayne Gabriel and Willie Hernan Gomez. But of course, you can plug Zion and Steven Adams into those roles. But even down the list, Kyra Lewis, who's a late first-round pick, doesn't look like much. Wessa Wundu hanging around in the league. Like, the Pelicans lack... They need more reinforcements than what they did this last offseason. It felt like the Pelicans were going to have a deep roster, and it did not turn out that way. Josh Hart is pretty much gone altogether. Like, Josh Hart, the guy who said they could be the fourth seed in the West, and I believed that for sure... Uh, he has been pretty much a lackluster contribution, and who knows how long he'll stay in New Orleans. And Steven Adams feels like a bit of a flop, and they should probably replace him, and maybe free agency is the place to do it, or the draft picks, whatever the, the call is for the Pelicans. Reinforcements are required. And this was the reason why you got rid of Anthony Davis for what you did in the first place, and what you got for Drew Holiday is... The picks buy you the opportunity to acquire another star down the road. I don't know who that star is going to be for the New Orleans Pelicans. And to be honest, part of the Steven Adams move was that pairing of get talented players on the court. And Steven Adams has just become a terrible fit with Zion getting the ball all around the rim, which some people feared when they got Steven Adams, but I felt like it wasn't going to be quite that, but... Now Zion has taken over at the five, and he's not much of a spot-up shooter, and so Steven Adams' skill set becomes unnecessary for the Pelicans. And, you know, this is the difficult thing that they've tried. They've brought in Derek Favors in the past. They've brought in J.J. Redick. They've just tried to bring in different pieces all around. And it's like with the Hawks, where they were just looking for the combo, looking for the right combination, and it just never came. And eventually for the Hawks, it took getting that number four pick in DeAndre Hunter and trading up. It took signing Bogdanovich and signing Danilio Gallinari to set things in motion. And for the Pelicans, they just got to try more and more darts at the board. Just move some pieces out, move new pieces in, try and fit things around Zion and Brandon Ingram and make a decision on Lonzo Ball too. Like Lonzo Ball is going to be a choice that's difficult to make this offseason on an extension. But obviously Bledsoe, pretty much done. Uh, They moved George Hill too, I think, to get Steven Adams. So maybe that would have helped at one point. But Eric Bledsoe, he's done. The Steven Adams experiment is done. Josh Hart experiment, probably done. But maybe he'll be back because he can never have too many of those shooters. Maybe you start giving Nikhil Alexander-Walker some significant minutes as a a starting shooting guard over Eric Bledsoe. The Pelicans are just in this weird place, and some of these experiments are going to flop, 
I just didn't think all of them would flop at the start of the season, that it was just going to be Zion making massive improvements, and they're not going to play a lot of defense, which, to be honest, the Pelicans' identity was always going to be offensive when Brandon Ingram, the number two pick in the draft, super weapon on offense, like baby Kevin Durant, and Zion Williamson, baby LeBron, are your two best players. Of course, it's going to be a big offensive-type team, but you just didn't think that it would end up in the 11 seed when both players are averaging 51 points a game, putting them both in the top 30 of the league. It's just interesting that with all that, the Pelicans couldn't put anything else in a supporting cast around, and I find that really fascinating as we head into an offseason where the Pelicans have to retool, revamp their roster, because the only pieces I see that feel like guarantees to be there next year are Zion, Brandon Ingram, and probably Nikhil Alexander-Walker. Other than that, looks like it's going to be a complete overhaul of the roster, and probably Jackson Hayes too, but everything else you could totally see an overhaul coming for the Pelicans, much like the Hawks. You've got the two stars. They're both under 25 years old. One of them is a generational talent. Now you just got to bring in some pieces around and just keep trying the different matches because it very clearly didn't work this year. So some of these pieces you know that flopped. See if you can move them. Bring in some other pieces and maybe just wait on those draft picks. Spend the picks that you got to do this year. Young talent can't hurt. And uh, see if you give opportunities, they might develop. And just wait and see if you can wrangle in that big fish. Not sure who that big fish is going to be. But like for the Chicago Bulls, they waited, they waited, they waited. Vucevic became available and they had to make the move. So just wait and see when that big fish will become available for the draft picks. But start using your cap space to build out the roster outside of Zion Williamson. Maybe find your Danilio Gallinari in free agency this offseason like the Atlanta Hawks did. Just throw different pieces at the board and see what ends up sticking. You know, DeMar DeRozan probably won't go to the Pelicans, but I could see that being an interesting situation. Um, and there's, you know, obviously a, a little less in the free agent class, but see what you can find from this list of players. See if you can find, you know, uh, a Kyle Lowry, probably not, uh, a Victor Oladipo, a Tim Hardaway Jr., someone like that you could bring in and see what ends up getting. Maybe like Justice Winslow couldn't hurt. Or finding some guys like a Spencer Dinwiddie, just throw pieces at the board. Josh Richardson would be good. I think he'll probably stay in Dallas, but that would be a good one to bring in. Just throw some things at the board and see what ends up sticking at the end of the season. So there's a lot of different options out there. You got to bring in some new pieces around you. So we'll see how it works out for the Pelicans and how they overhaul the roster over the offseason. Support for the Take It Easy podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you with the best tools for your grooming experience. 
Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. And today, we have an exclusive offer for our listeners. 20% off plus free shipping when you use the code TIE, that's T-I-E, at manscaped.com. Manscaped hooked me up with a bunch of tools and formulations from their Perfect Package 3.0 kit, including the best ball hair trimmer ever, the Lawn Mower 3.0. Their third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TIE, T-I-E, at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code TIE. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. All right, for our C block here today, wanted to go back to a topic that people really enjoyed on the IG yesterday, which you can follow over at comical underscore sports underscore memes. We had a post right before the Tim Tebow news broke. Damn, I said Tim Tebow again. But right before the Tim Tebow news broke, we had a fun post about the Jalen Ramsey trade for the Jacksonville Jaguars. And from this Pages standpoint, because we're getting into the point now with this podcast where we can genuflect on things that actually happened live on our air, which is driving me absolutely insane to think about, that we can actually revisit things that happened while we were doing a podcast now, as we're now close to two years deep into the Take It Easy podcast, and end of June will be our second anniversary. But now that we're two years deep into the Take It Easy podcast, we can actually make commentary about things that happened while we were on the air. And when the Jalen Ramsey news broke, we were doing a series around game managing and this was before like NFL breaking news like dominated the, the numbers by my standpoint. And so we didn't talk much about the Jalen Ramsey trade at the time. And it just kind of fell off the radar. It was a one-day story. He went to the Rams. We talked about what was wrong with the Rams after the fact. But the Jalen Ramsey story itself was like, wow, at the moment. And something that we talked about everything going on. But Jalen Ramsey as a, you know, as a story was a big deal that we just kind of glossed over on the podcast. And so here's the Jalen Ramsey story post-trade. So the original trade for Jalen Ramsey, well, first of all, the context in advance. So the context a lot of people were coming at on the Instagram was that Jalen Ramsey wanted out of Jacksonville anyways, which was emphatically true. Jalen Ramsey was playing but was unhappy and uh, the Jaguars weren't going to pay him a gigantic contract as at the time the team was totally falling apart at the seam. Like Blake Bortles was gone at that point. Uh, they had, I believe Gardner Minshew had just taken over at quarterback from Nick Foles because Nick Foles had gotten injured. They were going to go 5-11 and that year. They were going to get number 9 pick in the draft and pick C.J. Henderson. So it wasn't going to be a great year for the Jaguars. It was their second straight 5-11 and season. Their window was emphatically closed, and the Jaguars were just kind of like treading water. They just picked up Josh Allen. They were going to pick up C.J. Henderson. They're just kind of treading water. And Jalen Ramsey knew his contract was a big thing at this point, and 
you know, he had, you know, the fourth year and his fifth year option left. He was playing through his fourth season and the Jaguars end up trading him. And when it was announced that it was the Rams, it was kind of shocking because the Rams, one, barely had the cap space, which they would make work by obviously moving some contracts and guaranteeing some dollars and backloading Jalen Ramsey's contract. But the Los Angeles Rams acquired him for two first-round picks, which was shocking because, the like with the Jaguars, it felt like the Rams, who were just coming off of a Super Bowl run, were kind of treading water themselves. That it was a it was a tough season for the Rams. They were kind of like they were kind of good, but Todd Gurley's knees were shot, and he wasn't the effective running back he used to be. So it was a little surprising when they made the move. Like the idea it was the Rams definitely shocked some people. The idea that it came mid-season for a massive trade like Jalen Ramsey shocked some people, but. The Jaguars had to get by the trade deadline. They wanted to get those picks for the NFL draft, and they had a price of two firsts, and they that price was met by the Rams. Now, obviously, a, a fringe playoff team. They missed the playoffs last year, but or two, that year, in 2019, they missed the playoffs, but they did make the playoffs in 2020. So a, a fringe playoff team nonetheless, but still a playoff team for the Los Angeles Rams. And they gave up two firsts and a fourth round pick for Jalen Ramsey, which was about the going rate of a star player at that time. We've done we've talked about this many times before about how the going rate of star players is based on the previous markets. Khalil Mack, two first round picks, but a second round pick going back to the Chicago Bears. Uh, and I think a third round pick going the other way. So two firsts, but a pick swap in favor of the bear or in favor of the Bears. Yes, uh, Odell Beckham, two first round picks. Uh, Stephon Diggs ends up being for one first round pick later on, but uh, there was one other trade I'm missing in there. But anyways, uh, those were the two big ones that I recall: was Khalil Mack, Odell Beckham, and then. Jalen Ramsey. And then, you know, further down the road, you have the Matt Stafford trade, which was really for a first and a third, and then a throw-in first-round pick to take Jared Goff's contract. Carson Wentz goes for a first-round pick. Small trades like that, like small trades. Jamal Adams, two first-round picks. Forgot about Jamal Adams in there. Jamal Adams goes for two first-round picks. That becomes the going rate for a star is like two first-round picks. And now we have all the results played out. Now that the draft is complete in 2020 and 2021, all the results have played out. And we talked about this with Stripe Hype Cincy, which is where the post idea came from. But this is the end results for the Jacksonville Jaguars and Los Angeles Rams trade. Obviously, time will tell, but ultimately... The Rams got Jalen Ramsey in exchange for Clavon Chason, Travis Etienne, and UAB defensive end Jordan Smith. Now, Chason had a really rough rookie season. In fact, in our rookie redraft, he did not even make the first round. And Etienne, again, he could be awesome at the running back position, and maybe that changes the opinion for you. But just the idea that they took the running back at that point is an interesting signal about where the Jaguars are as a franchise. And the fact that they signed Tim Tebow, they are a very strange, confusing, confounding franchise right now. But anyways, 
The Jaguars flipped Jalen Ramsey, again, all-pro corner last year, who has been emphatically awesome in leading what it was last year, the number three defensive unit in the NFL in his first full season with the Rams. Jalen Ramsey has ended up awesome for the Rams and got his big contract extension, and the Jaguars walked away with Clavon Chason, Travis Etienne, and Jordan Smith. But here's the counterpoint to that. When you trade a player like Jalen Ramsey, you are doing it to intentionally put yourself in the exact position that the Jaguars did. So I acknowledge that you have to make a trade like subtracting a Jalen Ramsey in order to get Jalen Ramsey's replacement, not directly through the trade, but they got Jalen Ramsey's replacement through Trevor Lawrence. That is your generational talent. That is your face of the franchise. And Jalen Ramsey, I had said at the time, and I say this with a lot of trades, is that, especially when it came to the Jets trade, and we were talking about that, you may not find another player as good as Jalen Ramsey for 20 years in your franchise. It was the same thing with the Jets. You may not find a player at D, on the defensive side of the ball better than Jamal Adams for the next 15 years on your team. That is the risk you run when you trade a Jamal Adams in his third year or trade or after his third year or trade Jalen Ramsey after his third year into his fourth season. You might not find another player that good again on that side of the ball for your team. And the Jaguars found Trevor Lawrence and having losing an all-pro corner and getting nothing in return for him is some, one of the things you do when you get the number one pick in the draft. It's moves like that that put you in a position to get the number one pick in the draft. And the Jaguars played their cards right and got the number one pick in the draft. And the other option that I think about with this is the two other teams, well, three teams that now that put themselves in similar positions by trading their franchise cornerstone for two first-round picks. The Raiders with Khalil Mack, The Brown, or sorry, the Raiders with Khalil Mack, the Giants with Odell Beckham Jr., and the Jets with Jamal Adams all went for two first-round picks, and the teams each put themselves in a position to succeed because their own draft picks were increasingly higher, and a lot of it has to do with who you get with those draft picks. The Giants took the Odell Beckham season, and they turned it into Daniel Jones. The Odell Beckham trade and the subtraction of Odell Beckham turned into Daniel Jones. Oakland, now Las Vegas, got Khalil Mack. And the final product of the Khalil Mack trade, I think, ends up being, and this could be another good post, Khalil Mack in exchange for, and Cole Komet, I think, went to the, to the Bears, for Josh Jacobs and Damon Arnett, and I forgot the third round pick, but that's basically what the trade ends up looking like for the Raiders, just on that side of it. But also the Raiders put themselves in a position to get top picks in the draft, and they never got the generational talent. The Raiders got Cleland Furl as a product of their season without Khalil Mack, where they were going for the bottom, they were going for the draft pick, and to show for it, they walked away with Cleland Furl. And the Jets, 
for what they got, they show for it, Zach Wilson. So the Jets end up being the big winners of the Jamal Adam trade, assuming Zach Wilson is a pretty good quarterback for the next 10 years. The Jets get Zach Wilson out of the trade because of how bad they get. And the Jaguars, who also traded their second, their star all-pro player in the secondary for before he got to his second contract, much like the Jets, they get Trevor Lawrence out of the deal. Now, the Jets obviously still get to play the odds with these picks. They have the next year Seahawks pick. They turn some of that into Elijah Vera Tucker because they traded up from 23. So they have some of that working in their favor. From a pure trade standpoint, you're never going to win these types of trades when you're giving up an all-pro corner unless you get another all-pro type player. Case in point, the Stephon Diggs trade. The Stephon Diggs trade was Stephon Diggs for Justin Jefferson. Might be the most even trade I've ever seen in the NFL. Stephon Diggs for Justin Jefferson. That deal ends up looking really good for the Vikings because they got another Stephon Diggs. Because not only did they give up Stephon Diggs for a lower first round pick, they took that lower first round pick and turned it into another Stephon Diggs. And a cheaper Stephon Diggs because they get great value at the position. But in the case of Odell Beckham per se, and Odell Beckham is now a wide receiver too and injuries kind of sapped his relevance. But Odell Beckham got traded for Dexter Lawrence, a starting defensive tackle for all of his first two seasons. He started 31 games, so all but one possible game in the last two seasons. Started every game but one. And Dexter Lawrence and Jabril Peppers, who Peppers was good for a little bit, but has kind of come back down to earth. Like, he doesn't look as good last year. He had a tough year last year, but he was awesome at the time. And Odell Beckham being bad makes it look really good. The trade itself looks good for the Giants. Everything they did after it looks really bad. Raiders trade itself looks pretty good. Like, Josh Jacobs is another star, top 10 rusher. Everything else around it looks kind of bad. The Jets, the trade itself looks good. And you can say this too for the Jaguars when it comes to Jalen Ramsey. Trade looks really good. I'm sorry, trade looks really bad. And the Jets might work out like Elijah Vera Tucker might be a star. I don't know. But trade itself looks bad when you give up a star corner who then becomes an all-pro with their new team. Trade itself looks bad, but puts you in a position for rebuild to succeed. Because the Jaguars got Trevor Lawrence and the Jets got Zach Wilson. So this is this interesting dichotomy. Getting Clavon Chase on Travis Etienne and Jordan Smith is not good for Jalen Ramsey. That is a lost trade. It's not looking good for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Like, obviously, Chase has got some development. I don't know if that's going to be there, considering that, you know, he's supposed to be an edge rusher, and they've got a lot of those at this point. And Josh Allen can rush off the edge as a linebacker. And uh, Travis Etienne is just a running back in the first round. And, you know, if you got the right guy, then it'll work out nicely. But considering that, that they already had James Robinson, or at least maybe believed in James Robinson, it's weird that they spent a first round pick on a running back. So 
obviously that can change with their developments. Like it, the odds could only get better from here for the Jaguars, given what it looks like on the surface. But I don't think there's anything they can do to replicate all pro level production from Jalen Ramsey. Cause it's not like the Odell Beckham trade where getting Dexter Lawrence is a success because losing Odell Beckham is already a plus. Just not having to pay Odell Beckham's contract is already a plus. This is, you gave up an all-pro corner entering his prime, and his first full season made another all-pro team. So that's a tough pill to swallow, especially when those are the results that you get from the trade. But one result you can point to is that they flipped Jalen Ramsey. And this is the argument I make for the Orlando Magic in the NBA. They flipped Jalen Ramsey for the opportunity to acquire another Jalen Ramsey type down the road. And so they just turned Jalen Ramsey into Trevor Lawrence thanks to their own draft pick. And this is the thing I say with Orlando. Orlando's going to turn Nikola Vukovic. Those Bulls picks might not be very good. They might be mid-first round picks. But Orlando is going to turn Nikola Vukovic in the trade and the bad season immediately into some sort of face of the franchise, whether it's Jalen Suggs, whether it's maybe they win the lottery and get Cade Cunningham. That's like their ideal situation. But maybe it's Jalen Suggs. Maybe it's Jalen Green. Maybe it's Evan Mobley. If they get one of the star players, then they flip Vukovic for that new face of the franchise. And the Jaguars, you could argue it's a success because the trade of Jalen Ramsey and getting nothing immediate in return, like post-Jalen Ramsey trade, if you think about it, sitting here right now, they've gotten about 20 tackles from Clavon Chase on at about three starts. They got about three starts two, close to two years later post-Jalen Ramsey trade. They've gotten about three starts and 21 tackles for Jalen Ramsey. Now, if you think that they're going to get something further down the road, it might be successful. If ETN's going to be a 1,000-yard running back every year, well, I just said that the Khalil Mack trade worked out well for the, the Raiders because they got Josh Jacobs. But maybe that'll work out better for them down the road. But you could argue that it's a success because it put them in a position with their own draft pick in the first full season post-Jalen Ramsey to land the number one pick in the NFL draft. So that can be argued as a success for the Jaguars. Even I would do it, but that was just a fun thing to revisit is what happened in the aftermath of the Ramsey trade. Did the trade of Jalen Ramsey set the path in motion to get Trevor Lawrence? I think it absolutely contributed. I mean, how could it not when you give up your all-pro corner for two firsts and a fourth? Right move at the time, but I also argue that had they paid Jalen Ramsey the $100 million he just got from the Rams, I think Jalen Ramsey probably would have been okay staying in Duval. I might be wrong, but I feel like he would have been okay staying in Jacksonville had he gotten that contract extension. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping into the Take It Easy radio or podcast podcast. Almost nailed the dismount. Thanks for stopping into the Take It Easy podcast. We got episodes every single day, Monday through Friday and Sunday for Wired Up. If you want the radio show, 
check that out over on Open Talk. And for those of you who made it this far, I forgot to mention, we have merchandise now. You want to buy a Take It Easy hoodie, a Take It Easy t-shirt, check it out at our merch store. You can find the link to that in the description of today's episode. Show us some support. I made a few cool designs. You can get them in almost 10 to 20 different colors, depending on what it is that you're buying. So check it out at the Take It Easy merch store, which you can find again, link in the description to today's episode. Thanks for stopping in everybody. And as always, take it easy. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.